podcast. My name is Carolyn Smith-Hilmer, and I am Sixth Avenue's very own final girl. And this week, I am excited because we are going to be talking about a movie that I knew very, very little about until recently, and I'm very excited to have finally seen it. This week, we're going to be talking about 1981's Possession, written and directed by Andre. Zawalski, I really hope I'm saying his name correctly, starring Isabel Ajani, Sam Neill, and Margit Karstensen. This movie is unlike, much like the other movies we talk about on this channel, um, much like those films, this movie is very much not like the normal film that you are used to seeing about possession. Um, this film was nominated for the Palme d'Or at Cannes, it did not win, unfortunately, in 1981. But, um, yeah, guys, this movie is batshit crazy. I very rarely have a time when I'm watching a film and I am, like, my jaw is just completely open when I'm watching it because of how insane what I'm actually viewing truly is. So let's consult our Bible, IMDb. Possession. A woman starts exhibiting increasingly disturbing behavior after asking her husband for a divorce. Suspicions of infidelity soon give way to something much more sinister. That is definitely the best two-second, uh, two-sentence summary of this movie. I mean, that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. This movie is rated R. It is two hours and four minutes. I know that there are different cuts of this movie. I don't particularly know which cut I have viewed. So if anybody else has seen this movie and they know for sure that a different cut is shorter, or if I'm talking about a scene that maybe you haven't seen or heard of before, then it could be possible that I was watching the, um, the uncut or maybe the director's cut. Before we dive into that, of course, I have to remind you all that the final girl on sixth avenue is part of the incredible morbidly beautiful network and morbidly beautiful is your home for horror if you love horror in any way shape or form then you are welcome with us at morbidly beautiful you can find my podcast and many others like it such as the all-american spook show and not your final girl as well as insightful film reviews and so much more so head on over to morbidlybeautiful.com to check it all out and show us some love other exciting things regarding the podcast that I wanted to announce is that um, I will link all of these things in the show notes for you. I'm going to try to start doing that more regularly because it really is the best way to, you know, have everything in one place and it's easily accessible for everyone. But I um, did recently put some designs up on Redbubble. So I will send the link to the show notes so you guys can all view it. And it would really mean a lot to me if you guys bought some stickers or t-shirts or journals or, um, I don't know, canvas tote bags. Anything that your heart desires, pretty much, I have available on there for you to buy. So please let me know if you like the designs. Please, of course, don't hesitate to reach out to me if there's a design that you'd like to see. That's not on there currently, but there are, I believe, seven designs up right now. And most of them are tailored to the um, image for the podcast, the thumbnail that you see whenever you um, listen to my show. Additionally, I have started putting 
these episodes up on YouTube. So I'm in the process of, you know, getting everything up there because I do have over a year's worth of backlog of episodes that need to be uploaded. But after speaking with some friends, it's come to my attention that a lot of people just like to have, rather than listening to something like on their phone, they love to have something on the TV. You know, you can put it up on your your YouTube app if you have a smart TV. And um, even though it's a static background image because I don't record myself, I'm not brave enough to do that yet. I also don't have a camera that I would feel comfortable using. Um, and there's some, you know, layout constraints in my apartment as well. But if I ever get to that point, I will be sure to let you know that my face and me speaking live to you is up on YouTube. But for now, it's just a static background image with your favorite episodes playing over it of, um, of my show. So um, I would love it if you guys would like, subscribe, comment on those videos. Again, I will link those in the show notes so you can check that out. So now, enough with the updates. Let's get started. Our film opens with a man. This man is named Mark, and Mark is looking at some old and dilapidated buildings. He's in a car, he's coming home, and ultimately he arrives to see his wife and son. His wife's name is Anna, their son's name is Bob. He kind of comes home, showers, spends time with family, jovial, he's been gone for a while. And later that night in bed, Anna and Mark talk about whether or not they might have been unfaithful to one another while Mark was away um, at work. Mark is in some type of intelligence organization. This film takes place in Berlin when the Berlin Wall was still, still dividing, was still up. And so he had just gotten back on a mission from East Berlin where he was serving as some sort of intelligence officer, agent, what have you. So he was gone for quite some time. So they end up talking about it and they both agree that they were not unfaithful. Mark doesn't come right out and say that he doesn't go, Oh yeah, no, Anna, like I, I didn't cheat on you, whatever. He just says like, well, not really. There's not a ton of dialogue in this movie, but the dialogue that is there is very vague and it kind of goes to, it's, it's works that way so that the, the viewer has to do some thinking about what these, what these subtexts really mean. So they don't really reveal a lot of information when they speak, but pay attention because it's important. He tells her, Anna, I don't even want you anymore. I don't want you. You're not the woman that I left before I went to work in East Berlin. So they go to bed the next morning, Mark goes to a debriefing meeting with his um, intelligence associates. He hands over a report he wrote from his trip and they wanna hire Mark again. Mark did such a good job, they want him to come back and he doesn't want to. He doesn't care, he doesn't wanna take work again. He's like, I'm done, everything is in my report. And then before he leaves, they're like, you know, one last question, do you have any updates or like any knowledge of the man in the pink socks? And the screen cuts. So he leaves the meeting. So we don't know anything about what pink socks mean or where they are or who has them. I personally don't know a lot of people that have pink socks. I might have like one pair. If there's any like, this was, again, this came out in 1981. So if there's anyone out there who has some like 
context or, you know, knowledge about what like wearing pink socks at that time might have meant, um, please let me know. After his meeting, he comes home to find that Anna is gone. Later, she phones him and tells him that she needed some time to think and that she's downtown. So Anna hangs up the phone on him, and as Mark is going through the mail, he finds a postcard from Anna's lover and proceeds to call up her friend, Margit. So when he calls Margit, he's just looking for like more information about Anna. Like, do you know where she is? Do you know if she's been cheating on me? Do you know what's been what the fuck is going on? Like, I have no idea. I just came home and I feel like my wife is a completely different person. And Margit kind of doesn't really offer up any information. Um, nothing of substance. So she kind of alludes to the fact that, yeah, she, Anna has had a lover while Mark was gone. And um, as soon as he puts that phone down, Anna calls him back immediately and is like, you know what, we're done. This is over. I don't want to do this anymore. She admits that she has had this, you know, third party lover for a long time. She sleeps with him. She likes it more so than she likes sleeping with her own husband. And she's actually calling Mark from this guy's house, from her lover's house. So Mark is like, okay, fuck that. We're going to go meet at this cafe. Meet me there. When they get there, they sit on each side of a corner so it's like one long booth that is like completely wrapped around this entire wall and there's a corner but there's a booth on both sides and it connects and Anna sits on one side of the corner and Mark sits on the other side so they're not even looking at one another it's a very interesting scene so they talk about money and Mark is like okay do you think like 800 bucks is enough money for you I don't want to see my son Bob anymore. Like this is just too much for him. I don't want him involved in any of this stuff because it doesn't have anything to do with him. And I don't want to fuck him up more than this probably already has been. Anna admits that she gets more out of her relationship with this other man than she does with Mark. And Mark chases Anna out of the cafe, throwing down chairs and tables in his path to get to her, to try to harm her from what we can understand. So back at this other apartment, and I like I can't tell, honestly, because of the way it was shot, if it's the apartment that Mark and Anna share or if it's somewhere else. I believe it's the apartment that Mark and Anna share, but it looks increasingly neglected. Like, it looks like nobody's been taking care of it. He's sick. He can't even speak or form words to talk to his mom on the phone. The house is completely destroyed. He's gone on a three-week-long drinking spree. So Anna comes home and um, sees him this way. And she's like, yeah, it's been three fucking weeks. Like, what are you doing? One day, Mark comes to the apartment and finds Bob completely alone, neglected, and dirty. Like, he hasn't been taken care of. You know, he's very young. I would say in this movie, he's probably like four or five. He's very young. And Mark is obviously upset. He's like, why hasn't your mom been taking care of you? What the fuck is going on? Anna comes home and Mark is like, listen, Anna, no more. You can't have Bob. I know I said last time we spoke that 
you know, I don't want to see him anymore, but fuck this. If you can't take care of him, I'm not going to let him die. So Mark tries to force Anna during this encounter to break up with her lover, whose name is Heinrich. So he tries to force Anna to break up with Heinrich over the phone so that Mark, Anna, and Bob can be a family again. In the middle of the night, later that same day, Mark puts Anna to bed and he gets a phone call from Heinrich that Anna is with him. So we see Mark put Anna to bed. He wakes up in the middle of the night. Anna is gone. He gets a phone call from Heinrich saying, I have Anna. I love her. Blah, blah, blah. Anna left a note on her pillow that she went to go talk to her friend Margit. So Mark calls Margit and gets the number of Heinrich's place that Anna is staying at. So the next day, Mark takes Bob to school and notifies his teacher, Helen, that from now on, Mark is going to be the one who brings Bob to school. Helen looks identical to Anna, but with green eyes instead of blue and um, like a different colored hair. Her hair is much lighter and immediately it makes Mark upset. He's like, is this some kind of fucking sick joke? Like, why, why are you here, Anna? But it's not Anna, it's Helen. He calms down, he realizes everything is fine, and Anna is not intentionally trying to play a joke on him. So Mark goes to Heinrich's apartment and confronts him. Heinrich admits to Mark that he and Anna have been together for, like, a year at this point. And he tells Mark that he couldn't have been the one to call him the night before in the middle of the night because he was in Hamburg. So that would mean that yet another man placed this phone call. Mark puts his hands on Heinrich finally, he's had enough. And Heinrich's mother walks home, she lives with him. And she walks through the door and he tells Mark, yeah, my mom is here all the time, she lives with me. Even when I'm having sex with your wife, she's here. They continue to fight. Heinrich kind of kicks Mark's ass and Mark leaves. So back at home, Mark confronts Anna about her whereabouts the previous night. He tells her, I know you weren't at Margit's house because I spoke to her and I know you weren't at Heinrich's house because I also spoke to him and I went there. So Anna terrorizes him. She's screaming at him, over the top screaming, you disgust me. Um, she's like, you know what? I, I fuck everybody as soon as you turn your back. I'm a whore. I do all these things. I'm everything you think I am. And Anna just straight up slaps Mark. I mean, she's just, she's pissed. And then Mark, uh, beats Anna's face. Pretty bloody. And she leaves the apartment again. Quick side note. All of the arguments between these two people are absolutely hysterical and like not funny hysterical, but like they make no fucking sense hysterical. Like emotions and tensions are so high that like none of this makes any sense. So if you two are watching this and you're like, I have no idea what these people are talking about or why they're reacting the way that they are, just know that you are not alone. So she runs out into the street um, with Mark chasing after her and she like tries to run in front of a truck that's towing a car to cause an accident and the truck swerves out of the way and the car goes flying off of the back of the truck and then she keeps running away. In the courtyard of their apartment, 
complex. It's like a complex with multiple buildings in it. Mark encounters Margit, who takes off his clothes for him and tells him that she's there to save the day. So are Mark and Margit having sex now also? We don't know, but one can infer. So Mark is like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to go hire a private investigator to follow Anna around. Margit has been babysitting Bob the entire day, and when Mark comes home and puts Bob to bed, he finds Margit asleep in his marital bed, and he just kind of lets her stay there. So the next morning, Anna comes home, and her and Mark get into another insane fight while she's carving some meat in the kitchen with an electric knife, like a carver. It looks like she might be, like, trying to make sausage because she puts it in, like, a the machine that makes forms it into a tube, but she's carving the meat, you know, for quite a substantial period of time. She admits to Mark that there's nothing that Mark did to deserve this. This whole thing just kind of happened. She feels really bad about it. He begs her to tell him why. Like, just why is this happening? I want more information. I want to know, like, do you love me? Do you love our son? Are you afraid of me? She says no to all of the questions that he asks until Mark asks her if she's afraid if he won't like her anymore. And she finally says, yes, I am afraid of that. So she takes the electric knife and cuts her neck with it. So she's carving meat, she picks it up, and she cuts her neck with it on the side. Mark immediately is freaked out because who wouldn't be by that? And um, takes her into the bathroom, cleans her wound, bandages her up, tells her that this whole thing can be handled in whatever way you want to handle it because Anna clearly can't handle it the way that they've been handling it right now. She just tried to cut her throat with an electric carving knife. So then Mark goes back into the kitchen and he takes the same electric knife and cuts his arm with it, like on his forearm, almost to the point of being at the elbow. And it's not clear if he did this as an act of solidarity with her to be like, okay, well, if you're hurting, like, so am I. Or if he did this to say, wow, like, that didn't look like it hurt you at all. I wonder if it really doesn't hurt. So Anna comes in the kitchen. She tells Mark, I'm leaving again. I can't go with you to pick up Bob from school. You're going to have to go pick him up yourself. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. Before leaving, she says, it doesn't hurt. And Mark says, no. Like, he, he's agreeing with her. No, it doesn't hurt. And to me, that is taken to mean it doesn't hurt. The physical pain doesn't hurt. The physical pain doesn't hurt not even close to as badly as the emotional pain and the emotional guilt and everything that these people are going through has no impact on that. Like, physical pain is nothing. So we see Anna, and she goes to the grocery store. And as she's getting on the subway, she realizes that she's being followed by the PI, who goes to follow her all the way on the train, all the way from her stop on the subway, all the way back to her new apartment, which is like a second apartment that none of us knew about. Lots of apartments in this movie. Um, Anna has been... She's had a second apartment that she's been hiding this whole time. And it's in a completely derelict building. Like, there's nothing... She's literally the only tenant in this building. Like, nobody else lives there. It's... 
completely been decimated by war or, you know, whatever, right? It's right next to the Berlin Wall. So the PI phones Mark and gives Mark the address. The PI is like, you know what, for a job well done, I deserve some sausage. So he gets sausage from a food cart. Then the PI goes back into Anna's secret apartment building and goes to her door, her unit. And he is posing as a worker from like the police who was hired by the manager's office to investigate this unit because I guess he says the windows he's looking at because a woman on the street got hurt from some sort of falling glass from the building and he just needs to check all the windows to make sure that everything's good to go. The apartment is like completely empty. Like there's nothing in it. So we still don't know why she's there. So the PI walks around, investigates, and she unwraps the bandage on her neck. I don't know how it healed or stopped bleeding so quickly, but she's done wearing it, so... She goes into the kitchen with the PI and offers him a glass of wine. She's laughing uncontrollably. Like, nothing about this is funny. But she can't stop laughing. And he insists that he hasn't checked all the windows yet, and he actually needs to look into the bathroom. And she's like, oh, there's no windows in the bathroom. You don't need to go in there. And the PI is like, um, no, I'm, I'm going to go in there. I, I think there's definitely something in there. I'm going to go. So he goes into the bathroom and finds, I don't really know how to describe to you what he finds. Um, it's a creature, it's not human. It's like the, the torso of a human, but it has like tentacles for arms and legs. So it doesn't have like fully formed arms and legs. And it's bloody and it's disgusting. And Anna takes the wine bottle that she pretends to have dropped in the kitchen so that it would shatter, but she broke it on purpose. So she takes this broken wine bottle and kills the PI with it for viewing whatever creature this thing is. Helen, Bob's teacher, comes to visit Mark at uh, his apartment while he's giving Bob a bath. And so while he's giving Bob a bath, he's like, fuck, the doorbell's ringing again. Um, can you finish giving Bob a bath? I would really appreciate it. It's Heinrich. Why is he there? So Heinrich wants to know where Anna is. And Mark won't let him inside the apartment. Even though Anna's not home, he doesn't want Heinrich to come in. And Heinrich is literally spinning around the stairwell that they're speaking in with his arms flailing about and like his movements are very erratic and like almost, well, I would say they're not really erratic at this point. They are probably more like spiritual. They just don't match the tone of the scene. They don't match what they're talking about. So he's waving his arms around kind of like, in this swirling motion and going from wall to wall on each side of this staircase while he's trying to talk to Mark. It's very odd and Mark is just standing there. So he tries to guilt Mark into admitting that he doesn't like Heinrich. He's like, look, I, 
I just know that you don't like me because of some comment about concentration camps. And Mark is like, okay, look, I do like you. I will tell you where Anna is. Heinrich is shocked, obviously, because he's like, I can't believe that. What the fuck? Like, what do you mean? Like, I can't believe this. Um, He's like, it can't be possible for Anna to be seeing a third man. And Mark is like, dude, I'm not afraid of you anymore. Um, She might be seeing a third man. She probably is. I don't know. And Heinrich says, well, it's okay to not be afraid of me because the only thing to fear is God. And Mark says, God is a disease. So later that night, Helen reads Bob a bedtime story, and then she completely cleans the kitchen for Mark. And she finally tells Mark that when Bob falls asleep during nap time after lunch at school, he cries and screams. And Mark is like, oh, well, that's super weird because Bob doesn't do that at home. And they get to chatting while she's doing the dishes. And um, Mark tells Helen that women are dangerous and he doesn't trust them. And he goes on this like long rant about it. And it's very upsetting and doesn't really make a lot of sense. And Helen is like, dude, that's no, we're not going to do that. And these stories of women being evil are contaminating the universe. Like don't speak about it. It doesn't, it's not true. And it doesn't make any sense. So Helen is like, hey, let me stay the night with you. We can listen for Bob to see if he cries out. And oddly enough, Bob does cry out in his sleep that night. Calls for his mommy, Anna, who, of course, is not there. Later the next day, a man meets Mark at the school drop-off and tells him that the PI that Mark had hired never came home the night before and has not been home that morning either. So... This man's name is Zimmerman. He is the uh, partner, the um, life partner of the PI. So he's gay. Zimmerman goes to Anna's secret apartment and she's mopping the floors. So Zimmerman comes inside. He sees the creature in the bedroom. It's on the bed. That's disgusting. It's bloody. It's dripping. It's oozing. It's all these things. And Anna says that this creature is very tired. She says, he's very tired. He made love to me all night. So Zimmerman finds his partner, the PI, on the floor dead in this bedroom and draws his gun on Anna. He shoots, but not, it's not clear if he's shooting at her or if he just has really bad aim and he did try to kill her. But, um... He only fires one round and then Anna proceeds to beat him violently and takes his gun and kills him. So now we have two deaths in the secret apartment. At home, Mark is watching a video of Anna teaching a ballet class where she practically tortures a young girl who's one of her students who cannot hold a position and is crying out in pain. Anna is like forcing her to hold this position. She's like, you know, pulling on her legs and her her hair and her neck and all these things to put her in this position. And she physically can't do it. And she's crying in pain. She runs out of the classroom. And Anna speaks directly into this camera and says, that is why I am with you. Because you say I for me. 
Anna comes back to the apartment later and completely raids and ransacks their kitchen, taking like everything out of the pantry. And she's running around the apartment frantically and begins to contort her hands and flail her arms. And she's screaming and she can't form coherent thoughts. But eventually she sits down and reveals to Mark that when he was gone the year prior, she suffered a miscarriage in the subway station. Colloquially in the film community, this is known as the tunnel scene. You will see why. After she exits the subway train, she stares down the hall, which is just like a long tunnel, that leads to the exit of the subway station. And she points and laughs in the direction of the exit of the subway tunnel because like, it's almost like she's doing it as if she sees somebody that she recognizes who she hasn't seen in a long time and is walking to approach them. But when the camera pans to the end of the tunnel with the exit, we see as the viewer that there's not another single soul in this tunnel. So Anna starts throwing herself against the walls of the tunnel and rolling around on the ground. And she takes a bag of groceries that she had and she smashes it on the wall and she bursts a gallon of milk in the process. And I mean, it's frantic. It's erratic. It makes no sense. She's, um, she's actually hysterical. And this goes on for quite some time. It feels like this scene lasts for 30 minutes, but I'm sure it was probably only like four minutes or so in totality, but that's how long it really feels. At the end of the scene, she throws herself on the ground, still in the tunnel, and begins to bleed and ooze a milky white substance from her mouth and ears and vaginal area. So blood and milky white. And she tells Mark that, she, she talks about these two sisters, basically. And these two sisters are called Sister Faith and Sister Chance. and. In this miscarriage, Sister Faith died. Sister Faith is what came oozing out of her body on the ground in this tunnel. Back at Anna's secret apartment, Heinrich comes over with the intention of making love to Anna. Heinrich is always talking about, you know, how he, through loving Anna and making love to her, he's bringing her closer to God and all of these things. And they kind of start to get into that lustful, you know, type of situation. And Heinrich makes his way to the bedroom. So presumably he could make love to Anna. And when he gets into the bedroom, he also sees this fucking creature that Anna has been nurturing this whole time in this apartment. So she goes to the kitchen he follows her in there. He can't breathe. He's shocked. He's stunned. He can barely walk. Like, you know, he's freaking the fuck out. And when he goes into the kitchen, she opens a refrigerator. And inside of the refrigerator, she's keeping like heads and body parts and limbs in the fridge. And this obviously freaks him out even more. And so Anna stabs Heinrich in the side. And he escapes from this apartment and calls Mark from a payphone. So Mark is playing with Bob when Heinrich calls him and Mark is kind of happy to let Heinrich suffer and basically is like, yeah, yeah, I know that you need help. I'm, I know you need help, but you know what? Like I'll be there when I can. So he's kind of just like happy to let him suffer for a little while. So Mark meets Heinrich at a bar and they go to this, the bathroom together so they can talk in private in the bathroom. 
Mark proceeds to clog one of the toilets in one of the bathroom stalls with, I think, a shoe. Um, it was a little grainy and it happens kind of quickly, but I think it's a shoe. Then Mark is like, oh, Heinrich, I'm sick. Can you come help me? And Heinrich is like, fuck you. I'm the one who was stabbed. You're supposed to be helping me. I don't care if you're throwing up. Mark takes the top of the toilet tank off and tricks Heinrich into coming in eventually to the stall. He hits Heinrich on the head with the piece of the toilet tank, um, which kills him. And then Mark stages Heinrich's body as if he were throwing up into the toilet and had like an accidental death of some kind. And then Mark leaves. So Mark goes to Anna's secret apartment. So Mark at this point is still the only man that has not seen this fucking creature yet. So he goes there. He stages an electrical fire, completely annihilating the apartment in the fire. And he rides off on Heinrich's motorcycle because he stole it. Back at the primary apartment, the one that Mark and Anna live in with Bob, Mark comes home to find Margit. Margit is now dead too. And she had been watching Bob while Mark was out committing acts of murder and arson. Um, But, you know, that's a nice way to say thank you is to, you know, have her be fucking dead. So Anna had killed her and somehow overtaken with lust over Margit's dead body, Mark and Anna have sex in the kitchen on the floor. After they finish up, Mark gets back to cleaning up Margit's body to cover up her death. And later he sees Anna having sex with the fucking creature. Obviously he is petrified by this. And Anna knows that Mark is watching her have sex with this thing and is looking at her husband longingly and like she keeps saying like almost 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 until you know mark just can't take it anymore mark goes to heinrich's home um because heinrich's mother had called he goes to this apartment and meet heinrich's mother who is certain that heinrich is dead because he hasn't been home at all and she hasn't heard from him So she sits with Mark and hints at the fact that she maybe knows that Mark is the one who's responsible for the death of her son. And she offers up that she loves both Anna and Heinrich's wife. Because by the way, Heinrich is also married and has a child somewhere else. She says that she loves Anna and Heinrich's wife both because they love her son. Then she takes a handful of pills and dies by suicide. The next day, while Mark is out and about, his former business associates show up and try to convince him yet again to join for another work assignment. And Mark successfully evades their requests, not, you know, giving an answer to it, and goes back to Margit's apartment, where he finds police officers and his former employers there. So, like, they're all kind of suspecting that whatever rampage he's on is, you know, they know about it, basically. So he hails a cab and at gunpoint tells the driver to back up into a cop car that's behind them at full speed. So Mark is trying to stage a distraction at this point. After the cab driver crashes into the cop car, Mark tumbles out of the open car door. Like he got into the back seat of the car and didn't close the door so that he had an opportunity to like roll out of the car afterwards. 
So he rolls out of the car onto the street where he gets into a gunfight with the police. He leaves the scene of this crime, the staged distraction crime, with a gunshot wound and takes a motorcycle as his getaway vehicle. He crashes the motorcycle um, because even though Mark is working or has worked as some sort of intelligence personnel, he's not that that good at this stuff, um, to be real. Like, we think he's really good because all of his people keep asking him to come back to work, but he's really not that great at evading things, evading bad situations. So he gets in a motorcycle accident um, and goes into his apartment building to find Anna, the police, and his former business partners all there together. At this point, Anna introduces the creature who has now turned into a fully formed man that looks identical to Mark. Identical to Mark. Much like the school teacher, Helen looks just like Anna. Mark attempts to shoot the fake Mark, doppelganger Mark. And as soon as he draws his gun to fire, police fire off rounds of bullets that, that wound both Mark and Anna. I mean, I don't know what the police had, had thought, but um, Mark wasn't trying to kill them. He was trying to kill his doppelganger. On the floor, Mark and Anna lay there, bloody, dying, wounded, and Anna crawls from fake Mark to the real Mark and they kiss and they hold one another and it's almost as if she had done all of this caused all of this and at the end of the day the person that she wants to fucking die with is her husband Mark it's like this whole thing could have been avoided but you know to Anna this is what she wants so she crawls on top of Mark's body she takes Mark's gun she arches her back and shoots herself in the back in what appears to be an attempt to kill both her and Mark at the same time, but this bullet only successfully kills Anna. Mark then throws himself off of the staircase that they're on onto the floor and kills himself um, while doppelganger Mark leaves through the roof of the building. So back Oh, let me say this. Excuse me. How could I forget? One of his business associates, the one who um, had most recently tried to convince him to come back to work, is seen walking upstairs wearing bright pink socks. Back at an apartment building, which, again, the apartments are out of control in this movie and, like, I can't, I honestly cannot tell if this is supposed to be Mark and Anna's apartment, but like a pretty version of it now. Like it's been like redecorated somehow because like now Mark and Anna are dead. Now this apartment is like magically turned into like a really nice new modern apartment. But anyway, Helen is there and she is babysitting Bob and the doorbell rings and Bob is begging Helen to not open the door, but she opens the door anyway. She goes to the door, at least. And she's like, I want to open it. Like, don't be so dramatic. Outside, you can hear explosion, 
like sounds of explosions and sirens and airplanes and you know smoke and and all these things and like bombs and so bob runs into the bathroom where conveniently the bathtub is completely full of water already and he jumps in face down into the tub and drowns himself so yeah if things couldn't get any worse this kid is drowning himself helen and the mark doppelganger do nothing but stand in the doorway on both sides of the door it's a it's a glass door so you can see through it and you can tell that it's the mark look-alike and helen stares off with eyes that look distant yet happy at the same time and that's the end of the movie so dear listener if you are sitting there thinking wow i'm really confused yeah i mean i get that um i'm not not confused this movie is like repulsion like roman polanski's repulsion meets literally any david lynch movie ever with body horror thrown into the mix it's a rather eclectic film but it's an absolute masterpiece the acting in this movie if you're a fan of david lynch then you know the acting is super exaggerated and over the top it's like it's a surrealist film almost in a way like that's why a lot of the dialogue seems very dreamlike is because it is it's intentional there's not a lot of ways to connect all the dots it is more about what you think and what you get out of it and surrealism is definitely definitely an art form that like i don't know that i am capable of ever um writing or creating it's not necessarily coherent and characters kind of speak in code and there's a lot left to interpretation so it's sort of meant to feel like a dream so you i mean you might remember any recent weird dream that you've had it doesn't make a lot of sense things are kind of just thrown in there jumbled together and there's a lot of things that just don't make sense to you that's that's kind of the intention and often when people are going through a breakup their emotions are not at all rational and they're all over the place they are erratic in nature and expression and it almost having the characters in this movie act this way physically is a way to show you what they're feeling inside without explicitly having them speak it or say it or express it with words um it's just like the physical manifestation of these feelings and seemingly minor details in the dialogue uncover a lot of information about the characters that's why i said if you if you watch this then definitely pay attention to the dialogue like there's a lot of hidden meaning everywhere there's things that they say that don't make sense but are meant to reveal things about the characters is, is essentially what i'm trying to say and to touch on the acting there was a really interesting video i watched on youtube again i will link it for you in the show notes in the description the video is titled the most insane breakup film ever made possession and this is uploaded by the kino corner channel and in this uh review 
that this reviewer posts about this film. The reviewer mentions um, a Polish theater personality, Grotowski is the last name, um, who taught experimental acting and expressive acting where you use like your entire body rather than, you know, standing stagnant and speaking. Cause like that, you know, it can only get you so far, but like using this type of, um, technique where you use your entire body to also showcase to people what you're feeling or what is going on inside of your brain is very powerful and very jarring, but it's important to the overall tone of the film. The film is jarring in and of itself. So this just kind of adds to that. Now the setting of this film is very relevant as well. The film is shot and takes place in West Berlin, like I mentioned, while the Berlin Wall is still up and separating Berlin into East and West. Even in some of the shots of the film, you can actually see the Berlin Wall itself. And the setting is remote, derelict buildings, empty streets aplenty, a filmmaker's dream, honestly. Um, not having to deal with tons of people walking around all the time. And the wall is significant because there's so many scenes in this film that show a degree of separation between Mark and Anna functioning much like a wall between the two of them. So for example, like I mentioned, when they meet in the cafe and they sit alongside the same wall of booth, um, but they're on different sides of an intersecting corner of that booth. It's like they're not looking at each other. They're not talking to each other. They might as well have a wall completely separating the two of them. Um, Anna has a completely different secret apartment. You know, she also has her own side of things. It's like representing the emotional wall that she put up um, between her and her husband by having another place to live in like this secret life that she's leading. Um, duality is very common theme. In, in this film. Um, additionally, at the end, when we see the uh, Mark doppelganger and Helen, Mark is standing on the other side of the door and, you know, there's a, there's a door separating them, like a wall literally separating them. So very important. Overall, though, this is the extreme surrealistic horror representation of a marriage falling completely apart. Director Zawalski himself had gone through a traumatic and difficult divorce from his own wife. And this film is a showcase of his feelings and how difficult they were to handle. Um, not only that, but Mark, or excuse me, director Zawalski um, had been making movies and stuff in Poland before this. And he had to leave Poland to make the films that he wanted to continue to make. Um, he had made a film before he left Poland about, um, like it was a, a political film essentially. And, um, the Polish government said, Nope, we, we can't show this. This movie is banned, blah, blah, blah. And Zawalski was like, okay, then I have to leave. So it also kind of um, plays into not only the separation between him and his wife, but the separation that he feels 
geographically and physically like not only did he have to leave his wife um via this this divorce that was obviously very traumatic but he also had to leave poland which was his home and just talking about the doppelgangers that is probably the part of this movie that i felt was like i felt like it was like the most difficult to try to interpret and again interpretation is subjective um and not only that symbolism is left open for you to interpret because otherwise it wouldn't be a symbol if somebody outright told you like what it was supposed to mean that kind of takes the fun out of everything right so both mark and anna see their respective doppelgangers as they represent like idealized versions of the two people. So for example, Anna wanted Mark to change. So she created this idealized version of Mark who, you know, wants to do nothing but basically be a sex slave for her. And she takes a literal creature and helps to nurture and turn it into the human doppelganger of Mark so that it can be, this version of Mark that she wants, this like caring and, you know, loving and present person that Mark hasn't been because he's been away at work. And Mark sees Helen as his idealized version of Anna. Mark wants Anna to stop walking out of the house all the time and doing random shit and being secretive about stuff all the time that he doesn't know about and wishes that she were more subservient and easy to get along with, which is exactly what Helen is. And they even look almost the same. This film also showcases how easy it is for your partner to turn into a complete stranger to you when you're going through a divorce or separation or breakup of any kind. Um, They are now completely different people. And they are people that you don't want them to be. They're not the people that you knew. Separation does really interesting things to people. And maybe Anna sees Mark as a monster through her eyes. And that's why she's harboring and raising this monster creature to try to fix it. Or maybe Anna has this creature monster tentacle thing that thing could very well be um, a physical representation of the guilt that she feels. She admits to Mark multiple times in the film that she feels guilty about all of this. There are things that she wants that she's not getting from Mark. And so she, she feels very poorly about that. Like she wants to be both, she wants to be promiscuous and still allowed to be do whatever she wants. At the same time, Mark wants her to be something else. So she feels very guilty about that. She seeks attention from other men and outside parties in order to make herself happy um, about her current situation or feel better about it. And whenever this creature and eventually turns into a twin of Mark, it kind of showcases to us like, oh, damn. This thing came out looking exactly like Mark. Mark is who she wanted the whole fucking time. She didn't even realize it herself. 
and possibly the doppelgangers in this movie symbolize how truly toxic Mark and Anna's behavior really is with one another. I mean, Mark and Anna ultimately end up having affairs because Mark, you know, has an affair with Helen. They, they have affairs with people that look exactly like their partner does. Kind of illustrating that no matter what, they're always going to keep going after the same people, the same type of person. They're always going to be drawn to the same thing over and over and over again. Even though these doppelgangers are not identical in the, the most pure definition of that word. They are very, very close, closely resembled. Like, so much so that if you saw the two of... If you saw Helen and Anna side by side, you likely, at first, would be like, oh my god, I didn't know you guys were twins. But they do look a little bit different. Which also kind of goes to show that Mark and Anna will still pick one another over Helen and Mark Doppelganger any day of the week. There's even a point in the film where Mark asks Bob, who do you think is more pretty? Or no, sorry. Bob asks Mark, Daddy, who do you think is more pretty? Helen or Anna or Mommy? And Mark is kind of like, mm, and Bob is like, I think Mommy. And he's like, yeah, me too. Like, even at the end of the day, even though, like, the version of Anna that he wants is Helen, but the person that he would still pick over Helen any day is still Anna. That's, I mean, that's kind of what they end up doing. They pick each other anyway. Um, And looking back on the monster creature... It very well could be that Anna saw Mark as a monster. And so we as the audience also see this Mark doppelganger as a monster up until the very end because she saw Mark as a monster. This whole time, it it easily could have been that this doppelganger was already fully formed as a doppelganger and we as the audience are shown it as a monster. But to Anna, it probably looked like Mark the whole time. And so at the end, when Mark finally goes through all of these things to try to show Anna a really sick and twisted version of what love means or what love can show um, and what people will do for love and the people that they love, Anna finally is like, yeah, he's Mark. This creature is Mark, but he's also not Mark. He'll never be Mark. I'm going to go out on a limb here with this interpretation, and I hope that you stick with me. I think that Helen and Doppelganger Mark are the same exact people as Anna and Mark. They're shown to the audience as two completely separate individuals. So we see both Helen and Anna, and we see both Mark and Doppelganger Mark. But I think the characters are like able to see that these people are the same people, but we as the audience are shown 
you know how whenever like people um say it's like oh well, you're like Jekyll and Hyde like you there's something inside of you this very well could be like an actual visual representation of that like not only are these people two totally different people on the inside like there's two people living in one body but we as the audience get to see the physical version of those types of feelings so I think that Mark and Anna are the bad they're like the jealous, vindictive versions of themselves that cause their son pain and to be sad and bring Bob all these problems. And Helen and Doppelganger Mark are the good versions of themselves and are all that is left after the death of Mark and Anna. Almost as if to say, if you can put the bad things away and kind of kill those bad things that you have, what you're left with are these good people. And... This is why Anna dies first and Mark dies second. They don't die together like you would imagine a loving couple to do. One could argue that Mark had to kill himself after Anna died because he was so possessive and so jealous from her actions of infidelity that he physically could not bring himself to go on without her or that he had dedicated all of his time off of work from chasing down Anna and to finding out everything about her and finding out all these secrets. And he had already quit his job. So if he didn't have that, he would literally have nothing else to do. So he can't imagine going on. So when Helen is seen taking care of Bob at the end of the movie, that is the good version of Anna. And Bob is happy to be in her care. But when doppelganger Mark shows up, Bob kills himself by drowning himself in the bathtub because he sees Mark and twin Mark as one and the same. And he sees that as the cause of his problem. Presumably when Mark was gone for work, Bob had no issues with Anna, no drama to deal with. Mark was literally not there to contribute to any drama or like facilitate any drama because he wasn't there. So before dad came back, life was okay. Dad comes home and life falls apart. That's what Bob sees. So that's why we hear explosions and airplanes and bombs and all these things going off in the background. Because when twin doppelganger Mark arrives at the door at the end of the movie, Bob literally sees Mark as the one who came home from work one day and ruined everything. So for Bob, it quite literally is the end of the world for him. He can't take it. And closing on that, that's my, inter my interpretation of the title, basically, is what I want to close with. My interpretation of the title possession implies that you are like the exorcist, right? Like you're being possessed by something. There's a demonic entity inside of you. X, Y, Z. The, t the movie title Possession, though, um, doesn't have to mean that. We do see in the film that, like, Anna and Mark and Heinrich are overcome at times with this type of behavior that would be, um, that would remind you of somebody who is acting out 
being possessed by a demon, like with the arms flailing and they're throwing themselves around and the self-harm and all of these things. But possession can also be like the things that you have, the things that you own, right? These are my possessions. These are my things. And I think that it's meant to be taken as Mark and Anna being possessed by this metaphorical demon um, of the toxicity of their relationship and their hold over one another. Like they have so much power over one another. It's almost as if they're overcome or possessed with this metaphorical demon of like wanting to own something, wanting to have something, wanting to, to take over this person. They're both possessive over one another, each in their own ways. And this film is completely riddled with duality, and I cannot recommend it enough to everybody out there who wants to take a deep dive into this film. Please let me know if you do. I would love to hear more from you about it. I would love to hear your thoughts. It still doesn't seem like this film is wildly popular, but I would love for it to be. Um... So if you guys check it out, please let me know what you think. I This is one of those movies where I've sat with for days and I don't really know that I was able to grasp the full picture of, of everything. Um, including, for example, the pink socks. Like they When they ask Mark at the beginning of the movie if he knows about the whereabouts of the man in the pink socks. And then at the end of the movie we see his colleague, former colleague, has pink socks on. Like, I still don't know what to take away from that other than maybe the director playing, like, a little joke on us. Um, I don't I don't really know what to make of that. I also still don't know what to make of Anna telling the camera in her video of her teaching the ballet class, of her saying, like, because you say I for me. Is that supposed to imply that they are, you know, Mark and Anna are, I don't know, making decisions for one another. If they're supposed to be one and the same person. Like, it's, I, I don't know what to make of those things. So, again, if you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. I want to remind you that you can find this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and Pocket Casts if you've enjoyed the show. As always, it would mean the world to me if you left me a five-star review on Apple and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. For any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, requests, you can email me at finalgirl on six, that's the number six, at gmail.com, or you can send me a message on Instagram at final girl on six. That's the number six. I will link all of, um, the things I spoke about earlier in the show. I will put a link for my, um, Redbubble design. So you can check those out. I will put a link for the YouTube channel. So if you want to listen to these shows that way, again, I would love that. Thank you as always for your support. Again, I really means the world to me that people are out there listening to me. So again, I can't thank you enough. This has been the conclusion 
of this wild ride of possession from 1981. Um, it has absolutely consumed my thoughts. It has possessed my thoughts. So let me know if you feel similarly. Until next time, don't forget, I am Sixth Avenue's very own final girl, and I will talk to you very soon.